0: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, oh, I might be a little bit, um, a little, what's the word, verklempt maybe a little bit tonight. A bit. The, uh, the smoky smell is coming. We're doing some construction here at WBSM. And uh, they're working on uh, some of the offices in the back, kind of expanding and in some cases contracting, but they're they're doing some uh, work around here, and so there's a little bit of a smokiness in the air. So if I get teary eyed or it's not, I mean, as much as I'm going to enjoy the conversation, the smoky eyes or the, the teary eyes are probably from the smoke and the residue and, and the
1: drywall dust and all of the other all
0: stuff. that stuff and. You know, I asked Stephanie if she was coming in, and, and she's she had something else, uh, another event to go to tonight. She had a, a wedding to attend. So it's, uh, it's better off. Yeah. Because if she was in here, she'd be dying. Hacking. She'd be hacking and that, sneezing. That <laughs> plant behind you is uh, <laughs> enough to to keep her from being able to function normally in the studio. And so it's even worse if all this extra stuff was in there. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the paranormal, as we are pretty much each and every Saturday night. There was no show last week because we were at the... Braintree Historical Society uh, for a fundraiser. And our friend Jeff Campbell, the Plymouth Ghost Hunter, put this together. He works very closely with the Braintree Historical Society. And he wanted to have some paranormal folks come and lead a ghost hunt. And we got to, Stephanie and I got to investigate the Thayer House, uh, which is uh, named after, well, it's a, it was one of the homes that the person lived in, um, Sylvanus Thayer, who is the founder of West Point and who uh, I believe Fair Academy right across the street is named Mm. for. Uh, But he was was definitely active with us that night. We did some uh, Estes Method stuff, and uh, we did some other investigations. So it was really, really interesting. I mean, it's hard because you have a different group coming in every hour and different people and different energies coming in, but it's a place that I definitely want to get back to. Uh, Again, as you know, Moniz, if the place is from the 1700s, I'm there. Yep. even 1700s, even older, doesn't matter. I love to go to those places and check them out. So uh, if you want to go find out more about that, just go to BraintreeHistoricalSociety.org, and you can go and take day tours at some of these places and uh, find it a little bit more. But it was a really cool place, really cool vibe, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do some more stuff with them down the line. Uh, tonight's main topic is going to be vampires. We're going to get into it with our guest AP Sylvia, who's here with us in the studio, which is always nice to have a guest in the spooky studio. How are you tonight?
2: I'm well thanks, how are you?
0: Uh, doing spectacular. And uh, we're going to talk about the new book Vampires of Lore Traits and Modern Misconceptions. So you can pick this up pretty much anywhere books are found, right? They're in the bookstores and Amazon and all those places yeah, right
2: That's going to be a lot of it's uh, available at Amazon and other online stores and we're trying to get it into the brick and mortar stores right now
0: well wow, there you go it's a, it's a beautiful book i mean i how much involvement did you have in the design the physical design of the book
2: uh, a little bit but a, that was a lot of it just the publisher doing their magic and it, i was thrilled with how it came out
0: listen i don't mean to badmouth schiffer uh but this is the best damn schiffer book i've ever seen and i've seen some pretty good stuff from schiffer but like this is just a, i've had it on my desk for a couple weeks and everybody that comes into my office looks at it and says oh this is a really nice book and I say, well, if you think it looks nice, wait till you start reading it, and you get some of the information in there. And we'll get into all of that coming up uh, in a little bit. But before we do that, I just want to give everybody a little bit of a heads up because it's the holidays, Thanksgiving is this week, right? Thanksgiving this week, right? Ooh,
1: yeah, if you want to so. start it as a Saturday to Saturday, yeah.
0: No, no, I mean Thanksgiving is this week, right? Like Thursday of this yeah. week is Thanksgiving. So uh, it's, it's the week where people have some time to like – unwind and sit on the couch and you know especially people that are like not into leaving the house on black friday to go to those crazy sales they would rather just stay home and surf the internet and all that stuff so i've got your black friday plans for you already you're going to spend your whole day watching season two of hellier this is going to be released at midnight on friday uh, through amazon prime uh, through hellier.tv TV. I think they put it on YouTube. They, they put it across the board in a lot of different places. So it's not like you have to have a subscription to anything to see Hellier. You just need to, to, at the very least, go to hellier.tv, H-E-L-L-I-E-R.tv. And if you didn't see season one, and if you're not familiar, you don't remember us talking about it on the show. Awesome. It's our friends Greg and Dana yep. Newkirk, uh, Connor Randall, and Carl Pfeiffer. And uh, and Tyler Strand plays a bigger role in the, this new season, and our friend John Tenney was in it. And so basically, what it is is Greg and Dana Newkirk. They run the traveling museum of the paranormal and the occult. They also run the Planet Weird website. Uh, they also run the the Weekend Weird website. Yeah, we'll let the lawyers yeah. figure that out. <laughs> but they, you know, they have all these, um, you know, different outlets for for paranormal research and 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 for paranormal entertainment. And so being who they are, collecting haunted, haunted objects, going out and investigating weird stories, you know, they always get strange emails from people. But a few years ago, they got an email from somebody talking to them about, you know, basically telling the story about these goblins in Kentucky in the Mammoth Cave system under the uh, Appalachian Mountains. And they started pursuing the story, but realizing that it connects to a much bigger picture. And so season one of Hellier takes them actually to the town of Hellier, Kentucky, and gets them into some of the the deeper stuff about this. And when it came out, when I watched it, I was uh, you know blown away by what I saw, because it really took paranormal research to another level, and to the level that I like to see it, where it's not so much about the flesh-and-blood, hardcore, physical proof of things, and more about some of the weird connections that things have. And you have to keep following those weird connections to get to the ultimate answer. And I thought that Season 1 upped the game about what paranormal TV can be. Season 2 just blows all that out of the water. Uh, Right from the beginning, you're drawn in with some of these deeper connections. So if you you thought that Season 1 was weird... It only gets weirder from here. So I've seen half of season one. uh, That's what they made available to people to pre-screen. The entire season will drop all at the same time on Friday. Season two, you mean? uh, Yeah, season two. So the entire uh, season two will drop on Friday at midnight. So you can get in there and you can catch up now if you haven't seen season one or if you want to go back and revisit it start watching it now a good way to spend your Thanksgiving you know if you're not a football fan you don't want to watch football games watch hellier and then you'll be ready at midnight when season two drops but uh, I just I, I can't I can't really say too much because I don't want to spoil it for people but for those of you who have been saying you know but why but what else? But where can this go? This is These are the questions that will be answered with season two of Hellier. And uh, Moniz, you've known me for a long time. You know that out of all the weird things that we talk about on this show, one of the things that's always fascinated me is this character of Indrid Cold. Yes. Who appears in the Mothman prophecies. Correct. And has appeared in other situations and other stories. Uh, and, and, and also could be a similar character that appears in other things, maybe just other, under different names. But um, they get really really close on the trail of injured cold at least in what I've seen so far. Okay I don't even know how much further they get in what I haven't seen yet, but it's uh it's pretty amazing it's it, it's gonna it's gonna be a game changer so that's that's my little plug for that and, and as you know, I don't really go over the top in my effusive praise of some of these paranormal shows no you know i generally try to yeah i try to keep my credibility a little bit because you know you don't want to go over the top about every single show because not everyone is good but i'm telling you this is great and this is why they do it themselves because then there's no network breathing down their neck there's no production company breathing down their neck they're able to tell the story exactly as it happens how it happens and it's Better than anything else you've seen on television when it comes to paranormal stories. So, when you get into the into the depths of this, it will change you as a person watching this. It'll change your your world view and your world belief. If you you know buy into everything that's going on, which I've known Greg and Dana for a long, long time. I, I don't know Connor and I don't know Carl, but my rule of thumb is this: anybody that is friends with people that I trust and I know that those people wouldn't associate with people that I can't trust, I can trust them by default. You know, and these, these people are all in the Tenny circle. And as anybody knows, if Tenny vouches for somebody, I'm all in on them. So.
1: Oh, I'm with you on Greg and Dana. When I met them this year, I, I thought they were straight up honest, hardworking people.
0: And they want this to be, you know, as pure as it can be. So. There's And what's funny is you think when you watch paranormal TV shows, and AP, I don't know how much, of, uh, how much of them you actually watch, but when you watch some of these shows, you see people make these leaps in logic where they say, okay, oh, this must be this ghost or this must be this happening or this must be Bigfoot out there. There's a lot of leaps in logic that are made in these shows. But when watching... Hell yeah! I find that they're leaping to the same conclusions that I am, and I, I shouldn't use the term leaping. You know, they're they're drawing the same conclusions that I am, and and I say like that's that's not a stretch. Like, is it is it a little bit of a of a different way of thinking? Yes, absolutely. But I can totally get behind that way of thinking. So it's going to kind of expand the way that you think when you watch the show. So I'll I'll be uh, I'll be anxiously awaiting it. The best part about it is it's perfectly timed, midnight on Black Friday, because we're all going to eat a bunch of food. We're all going to fall asleep at like four in the afternoon, wake up a couple hours later and have trouble going to sleep, so we can just stay up all night watching Hellier. And uh, if you started at midnight, you know by the time you get done, everybody will be done with all their Black Friday sales and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, with all the the crowds and all that, and then you can go out and do your shopping and, and get all the all the pickings of things that are left over. So, but one thing you don't want to wait on is if you want to pick up this book, "Vampires of Lore: Traits and Modern Misconceptions" as a gift, get it right now because this is an amazing book. Uh, and and again, uh, our, our guest tonight is the author of the book, A.P. Sylvia. He is here with us in the studio. Uh, you're actually from this area originally, so yes, I am. You're familiar with you know the the idea of the South Coast and some of the the way that people in this neck of the woods think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's n- it's not the kind of place where you grow up where people are talking about vampires. It's not something that was probably, you know, in your day-to-day conversations here growing up. No, I'd, probably not. And so it took you having a, a, a trip to, what, New York City to actually yes. get into this.
2: Yes. Well, I'll say I, I've am just going to have you talk a little bit closer ooh, to the a mic. A bit closer? Yeah.
0: Hello? You can pull that mic right up uh, to the end of the counter, the right too, right? if that's easier. Let's try that. All right. Well, that happens too. That's
2: the. We could also pull that one over too, if that one. Will reach. How's this? That sounds good. All right. Um, I will say I've I've always been interested in um, sort of the supernatural things and the paranormal and that in that uh, that kind of vein. Um, it's it's funny. I was actually going through uh, some. Uh, a box of uh, some of my childhood things and I found a book about ghosts it was real ghosts um information and stuff like that that uh that uh, my mom bought me back when I was a little kid and I loved that book and it had all kinds of fun facts and things like that so it's been something I've been interested in in for uh, a long time but what really got me on uh the the vampire track was I was in uh, I was in New York City in Times Square and uh I was there with uh my uh my fiance my girlfriend then um and we uh, we went into the ripley's believe it or not uh museum there i don't know if, if either of you have been to any of the ripleys
0: yeah i haven't been in but i've uh, i've you know i've read the comic strip forever and seen the tv shows so
2: yeah the uh they have a few different uh museums uh, throughout the country they're great um so as i was uh as we were walking around and there's all kinds of fun things there they had a, a vampire killing kit uh, supposedly from the uh, from like the 19th century, and it was filled with all kinds of interesting objects: wooden sta- uh, in stakes, and a, a gun, and silver bullets, and different potions and thing. And I I, I thought it was great. It was uh, such a fascinating piece. And uh, supposedly, according to to the card, it was uh, they were manufactured for uh, for people to take with them to Eastern Europe to keep them safe from uh, from the vampires that inhabited that region. And um, I, I, I just got such a kick out of it. And uh, sometime later, I was, uh, I was thinking back on that experience. I'm like, let me look these up a little bit. Where, what, what's the story with these things? And uh, as I was searching online, I found that there was actually quite a bit of controversy surrounding them. Some people thought that they were, uh, that they were legit. Ripley's, obviously, uh, that presents them as authentic. Uh, other people, um, and there's a number of vampire killing kits in existence. Uh, and other people uh, have their doubts about them and feel that they might—they are actually of modern construction, using uh, vintage pieces that have been assembled uh, into into a vampire-killing kit. Um, so the uh, it was it was uh, it was it got me thinking, and uh, one of the arguments about them was like, well. You know some of the, the pieces in this thing they're really for they really reflect modern ideas about vampires and not uh, authentic ones. They, this is from the movies. These are things that are people would know from movies. And I got to I got to kind of wondering well what what were the original beliefs about vampires? What did people actually believe? And I had seen different documentaries about vampires over the years, and those would sometimes bring up different things where it might uh, kind of contradict what you what you would expect. Um, so I, I started digging and I was like, well, what, what about all these things? What about, what about you know, blood drinking and fangs and turning into bats and things like that and silver bullets? Um, and so I couldn't quite find one sort of definitive source that was, here's an explanation about all this and here's where it all comes from. So I started doing research and I, I actually wound up writing the book that I wanted to read. Um, and that's, that's where I ended up. So that's, um, that's kind of the, the story of where it came from. And it was quite an interesting sort of journey to, uh, to discover these things and read through the old accounts and things like that.
0: See, and it's funny because you go to Ripley's and they kind of have an out anyway because they tell you, believe it or not. Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to believe it. Uh, but to, to take that extra step and to, to start doing your own research, uh, you know, you do find these things happen. I mean, we've seen exorcism kits. Yeah that have been put on sale on eBay. You know, when everybody has an exorcism kit, you know, oh, I bought this on eBay. It's it's a vintage exorcism kit from the mm. 1800s. Well, but not really. You know, it might be a leather satchel from the 1800s, but then they filled it with, you know, they didn't have a plastic tube of holy water yeah. in, in 1850. <laughs> yes. You know, so but to, to take it that extra step and to actually kind of dig into it, you wouldn't think in just trying to prove the authenticity of the pieces that would be in there like I'm, I'm assuming you're just trying to figure out if it's like of the time frame of the era of that like you start digging into that and you start finding well but they wouldn't even have that belief tied into vampires at that time i mean that must have been a a, a kind of a moment of aha for you to say well what is it that we would have used at that time or because uh, i'm kind of talking all over myself here. This is what happens when you watch five straight hours of Hellier and you start <laughs> getting all these weird thoughts in your head. You have to look at it from what you know. And like you said, you couldn't find anything else that would explain all this stuff. So you're coming into it to what you know. Did you have to wipe all that away and say, I'm just going to assume that everything that I know about vampires is a misconception created by Hollywood?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I essentially went through Every, everything I every modern notion about vampires I said well I want to see if I can prove that in the folklore everything I took nothing I took nothing for granted I kind of wanted to strip away all of those all of those beliefs um, to see okay well what what did people really believe and well we assume we we think oh well vampires have this particular trait um, and I'm going to come out from assumption of, Well, did they? Let me let me see if there's a period source that actually says that. And if I can't find that, well, then where did that come from? Um, And so that's that's ultimately what I did. So the vampire killing kit kind of, um, you know, whether it's real or not, uh, they're they're wonderful pieces. They're great. Um, And uh, I ended up when I was uh, in Los Angeles. There's another Ripley's in Hollywood and they have a vampire killing kit there. So I, I had to go see it. Uh, you also have to wonder, like, how big
0: of a problem were vampires? That they had all these vampire-killing kits floating around. Huge, huge yeah, problem. Yeah, like,
1: huge. Oh, well, uh, remember, remember the uh, problem we have with them here in New England, right? Absolutely. Nope.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll, right. we'll we'll certainly get into that, but it was still, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like we're being besieged by by vampires. Uh, were there in in researching the, the kit and the things that were uh, put into it? Did you read about any kind of like vampire flaps happening where there would be these large scale um, concerns about vampires? I mean, generally, as you go through the book, you're talking about things that happened, especially in in uh, the folklore aspect of it, things that happened in small villages throughout the course of history. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of, you know, like we have UFO flaps, we have Bigfoot flaps. I don't think I've ever heard of this like large scale Uh, vampire infestation for the most part. It's always been these small little, like kind of one vampire causing something.
2: Yeah, they're they're usually kind of isolated incidents that happen here or there. Um, But especially... In Europe, in, in the seventeen hundreds, it rose to kind of public consciousness. There was uh, there were newspaper articles uh, written about them, and there was uh, kind of discussions about vampires and these beliefs. And well, what what are these things and that kind of thing. So there actually there there have been uh, moments where it was very much present in kind of the the popular mindset, but actual like. You know, vampire sieges all over here, uh, with lots of different vampires happening all at once. Uh, no, not not so much. It was kind of certain incidents at certain times. And and I said, you know, before the show started, I
0: said we're going to kind of work from your conclusion in the book, kind of backwards a little bit, and uh, and not to really give too much away because we want people to read the book. But you come away with the idea that the. Thoughts that people have about vampires have shifted over time Mm. because we, uh, as a people, have shifted over time. And we see that happen with all of our boogeymen where, you know, what we think about ghosts in, you know, 1750, nobody was focusing on trying to prove the physical aspects of a ghost. They were just, uh, you know, trying to deal with whether or not there was actually something happening and something there. They weren't out there trying to detect electromagnetic field fluctuations. No, they're... uh... Like uh, no orb photography or something right. like that, right? <laughs> and and so with 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 anything, with even with aliens, you know, we've seen the way that aliens have changed over time. Uh, we've seen the way that you know the the creatures that we encounter from the
2: cryptid realm have changed over time, and vampires have as well. Absolutely, uh, you know, I think you know vampires, they fulfill a sort of um, psychological need that people have had. Um, you know, in the past, uh, you know, there was there was fear and uncertainty about what was going on in the world around them Um, and they needed to kind of explain that and put their fears onto something and so uh, vampires uh, in these certain instances that was that was the thing that was something that they could they could explain they could rationalize what was going on and it also gave them a method to deal with that problem so I think that's, that's what it was doing then. As time has shifted, as the way we live in society has shifted, uh, you know, we're not, I'm not necessarily worrying about whether or not there's going to be a, a snowstorm and a, how it's going to affect my harvest or something like that. Um, it's sort of changed and mutated uh, in fiction, and now it sort of speaks to us on a different level with some of the popular vampires we have now and kind of the romantic elements of it uh, and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, now it seems more like vampires are almost the the embodiment of... Of the dark, of the places that we're not supposed to go, of the of the people that we're not supposed to be. Like, mm. it's not about vampires roaming around in the dark and biting people and drinking their blood. It's about the fact that they can live forever and do what they want. Sure, and they can amass great wealth and all these different
2: things. There's a much more alluring quality to vampires now, right? They're 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 dangerous, they're dark, they're mysterious, but there's an there's an allure there. Um, the the vampires from the 1700s were not alluring in any way. They were scary and they were they were disturbing and you didn't want to you didn't want to hang out with them. Uh people were people were they were frightened of them. You know, quite li- they were literally frightened of of vampires, they would literally do things about it. But now, um, it, it's sort of speaking to us on a different level of, you know, well, this, this, you know, the darkness. There's a darkness within all of us, and that kind of thing. And you know, the immortality aspects. That's something that we still worry about now. We have sciences explained so much now. And now, you know, think back to a time when, uh, you know, you were living in a village, and suddenly someone who seemed young and he- they were young and healthy, and uh, suddenly they they got sick and died, and then another neighbor gets sick and dies. Then another neighbor is sick and you're, well, what's going on? You had no explanation right. for it. You had to put that on something. You had to figure that out. Um, nowadays we have the benefit of the scientific knowledge we've amassed in that time, you know, since that time period. So now we know what's going on and we can, you know, we understand disease and we can treat things. Um, but, uh, you know, we are, st- we are still mortal and so that's probably something that speaks to us where, oh well, you know, what would it be like to be immortal and we wouldn't have to worry about about dying or something like that but well what's the price you pay for that so yeah and that's
0: one thing that um, has I think has really kind of happened in the last I don't know maybe 20 30 years is the the moral ambiguity of vampires of of what it is that they do what they have to do to stay alive and is that a fair?
2: can you live with yourself sure if you're gonna have to live forever with the things that you need to do to be able to sustain that life yeah, that's always an interesting idea. Of you know, for these you know these vampires, it's like well, they have to they have to kill other people in order to survive themselves. And if they you know they if you don't kill other people, then they're going to wither and die themselves. So that's sort of an interesting sort of moral question uh, that you know you can kind of play with a little bit with uh, some you know modern vampire things.
0: It makes for a great literary device. In, oh, that, sure. in that regard, now what would the people think based on your research and what you've read? I mean. What would people of the 1700s think about people now who are choosing a vampire lifestyle? Who are, you know, some people are actually sanguineous; they actually drink blood. Some people are more energy vampires, but there are people who are actually living their life as vampires now.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the one of the things that, in many ways, the vampire that we know today wouldn't be recognized by a person in the 1700s. They they wouldn't know what it what it was because we have such we have a lot of discrete imagery surrounding vampires and you know the kind of the the dark kind of victorian garb and all and all these things um they 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 wouldn't understand they wouldn't understand it it would be it would just be something that they i don't think they would grasp they'd be well what's going on what's going on with this person why it'd certainly be strange and just you know the whole blood drinking thing would be um disturbing to them though Actually, uh, interestingly, in some folklore, there was belief that, uh, you know, the blood of, uh, of a vampire could actually work as a preventative measure to save you from the attacks of a vampire. So even with the folklore, sometimes there's this interesting kind of shift turning the tables.
0: Which is weird, because in some vampire legends, drinking the blood of the vampire turns you into a vampire. Uh, yeah, so the, in, in AKA some...
1: A.k.a. Lost Boys.
2: <laughs> I think True Blood had kind of the same yeah. idea. Yeah, that it's it's not. So that's that's it's kind of an interesting catch there, where in some folklore, uh, you know, the blood of the vampire could could protect you, but at the same time, you could also uh, be endangered by that of becoming a vampire yourself or something. Um, and it was it was kind of like a contagious thing, almost. If you uh, if if a vampire fed upon cattle and then you ate the meat from that cattle, then you uh, could become a vampire. And an interesting thing is that you wouldn't become a vampire like immediately. You wouldn't like eat it, and then suddenly you're, you're a vampire. You'd become a vampire after you died of whatever it is you ended up dying of. No, oh, So you could live another 70 you could years. Live, you could live for years later, and th- that happened in an account where they, they had this vampire problem, and they dispatched the vampire. And then some years later, they suddenly had another vampire problem, so they believed um and they said oh well it's because this person ate meat that was from uh cattle that had been fed on by the original vampire and now that they died now we've got this whole new vampire problem um and that and people believed this and this happened and like the like government officials would go out and kind of try to have to deal with this situation it wasn't um it was real it was real to them and they were they were they were in graveyards they were digging people up they were looking for signs of vampires
0: and One of the things that we should note is that in these earlier accounts of vampires, you know, you talked about how it's a a vastly different um, concept. It was a hugely different concept in terms of their physical appearance. We're not talking about somebody walking around, you know, being this beautiful... No example of humanity this is even even some of the 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 ghoulish apparitions that we see now with vampire stories even those weren't really the way they looked back in those days
2: no uh, you know it's uh like some of our imagery is sort of this uh a vampire that's kind of cadaverous right sort of like you know pale and thin and, and kind of creepy and all that because um, that's what a dead person looks like right so that's kind of what we think well a vampire is a dead person so they're gonna kind of look that way or something um but to the the people of the time if you open if you thought someone was could you know if you thought someone was a vampire and you dug them up and you looked at them and they looked kind of all withered and pale and shriveled and and decomposing they'd be like oh no that's what they're supposed to look like this is fine oh (laughs) no uh the the issues for them is they would they would open up uh they would open up the coffin of suspected vampire and the vampire to them if you looked um well preserved if you hadn't decomposed like they thought you should be, that was a sign. Or in some cases, uh, the uh, the corpse appeared to have gained weight. They were plump uh, and reddish in the face, uh, and uh, and that that actually is that can happen in the decomposition process. But the people who were looking at that didn't know that, and so they looked at that and they said, "This makes no sense to you know. This doesn't make sense. This person's been dead for a couple months. They're gaining weight." They've got blood around their mouths, um, which is another thing that can happen in decomposition. So to them, those were the signs of a vampire. So that's what a vampire looked like to them. It was it was um, it was someone that was uh, either well, you know, it was a corpse that was either well preserved and seemed like they were still alive, or was even better than well preserved and looked healthier than they did in life.
0: Especially if they had died of something, you know, in recent months uh, that they contracted before they passed away, you know they might look nothing like they looked in regular everyday life because the disease would be wearing away at them. So it would be a real big 180 from the way they looked when you put them in the ground to the way that they came out.
2: Yeah, it's uh, there was a lot, you know, there was some misunderstanding back then about kind of what happens after somebody dies, and even today, I think you know, if you were to tell somebody that, like, oh, like that's what that's what can happen, uh, people might be surprised, like, oh, really? You kind of just think of 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 someone's, you know, um, it's kind of sad thing about, but they go in the ground and they sort of just turn into a skeleton, and that's kind of what happens. They kind of wither away and shrivel up and turn to a skeleton, and that's it. But actually, uh, that's that doesn't necessarily happen, depending on the state of the body and how they were when they died, um, that people can actually, the body can bloat due to gas, the gas buildup and stuff like that. Um, and so it's, uh, it, may, it might even surprise people today, and it certainly surprised people uh, a few hundred years ago. I, I don't know how much you researched into this, but
0: how much does the modern
2: embalming process change that? Um, that should change that pretty dramatically, I would think. Um, I didn't, I haven't talked to any embalmers, but, um, you know, a lot of it, uh, I would think that that would probably not necessarily get rid of some of the the possibilities. You're still going to get the, you know, the, it'll still look like the
0: fingernails grew and the hair grew because
2: you're going to get Oh yeah. It's still going to, I mean, you know, even with embalming, it's, you know, the body's still going to ultimately decompose, but some of the, the, the gas buildup and stuff like that, I'm not sure if that would occur nowadays.
0: I mean, if... If it does, you know, don't don't blame me. You know, it's a, that's if I'm gassy in the afterlife. It's only because that's how I was in real life. Uh, but that's one of the one of the weird things that I've picked up from from reading the book is the way that people, um, the way that they treated death was a little different then. Uh, you know, I think they still have probably the same religious beliefs where uh, they probably believe that you know dying was just part of this process of you going on to some sort of an afterlife but in some of the recount, uh, some of the accounts that you were sharing from from these villages in Europe uh, back in those times it, it almost seemed like there wasn't the same ceremonial aspects of death that we would have you know where they they, they it, it was like okay they they were pragmatic about it they died they put them in the ground they just expected them to stay there. There wasn't all. There wasn't a lot of because uh, you talk about them seeing them come back, but nobody's ever like, "Oh, I'm being visited by this ghost." Everybody's more like, "No, I'm being preyed
2: upon by this vampire." Uh, yeah. Well, I think uh, a lot of times the in that in that kind of instance, uh, there was some kind of illness uh, or 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 something going on that needed an explanation, and so. Then suddenly it became a vampire. It wasn't necessarily, you know, with a ghost, I suppose you think it's, you just see them and that would be it. But mm-hmm. this, it was oftentimes accompanied by people getting ill and dying. So there had to be something more physical at play, I think, to their mindset. Something is caught, co- something real is causing this. So I think to them, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, a spirit. Although I will say that you know some of the terminology and how people viewed things is a bit ambiguous at times, and kind of what what it meant to be a vampire, um, and whether it was you know they use different words and such. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was having a corporeal effect on on the person. Um, yeah, and I think you know it was death would be uh, a pragmatic sort of thing. I suppose depends on the time and the place and sort of the nature of what was going on. um, You know, I I would... I would certainly assume they would have ceremonies, and they would priests. Priests were were involved uh, sometimes in sort of these exorcism rituals surrounding vampires. There was definitely a spiritual. I mean,
0: it seems weird to say because death happens every day, all the time around Mm. us. But maybe death was different then because there were so many ways that you could die, and people weren't really expected to live a hundred years. So they could be more accepting of some of the things. Whereas with us, you know, uh, the the death of a, a of a person you know, quote unquote, before their time hits us a little bit harder than it might have back then.
2: Yeah. And I think there was, and I think one of the things that sort of generated the the vampire, the, the kind of the vampire fear, it ultimately stems from a fear of death that, you know, this person who has died, I don't want to become like them. I don't want to, I don't want to die as well. I don't want them to take that, take me with them. Right. There was a, a fear of death. And so kind of being around uh, you know, having this dead person rise up and be around like that's—they're going to take me with them. I don't want to die too. Um, so I think that it—it it, it comes from a, f- a fear of death and a misunderstanding of the de- of the decomposition process and that kind of thing. Uh, with a lot of it,
0: I think coming up in the next hour, we'll get into some of the the you know the the beliefs that people have about vampires, and we can kind of talk about some of them, give an overview of, are you know how much of these are based in mythology and folklore and how much of these are actually based in Hollywood uh, and, and we can also open up the phone lines as well if anybody has any questions 508-996-0500 but of course we're going to keep it on topic we have some some calls that we get from time to time that are you know out of left field but tonight we're going to keep it on topic because we have our guest AP Sylvia in the studio with us and uh, we're going to be delving deeper into the vampire story uh, coming up in the next hour do you think vampires are going to remain we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier but do you think that vampires are going to remain in pop culture like we see cycles come through like right now zombies are popular when people had not really been into zombies for the last 20 or 30 years uh, and vampires they they don't seem
2: to cycle in like that there seems mm. to always be a vampire story for each generation yeah I, you know I I think that vampires uh, I think they, they, they speak to every generation in a different way and to me the the zombie thing, um, there, there's there's such an overlap between vampires and zombies, and when you look to to the folklore, in some ways there's there's really not a difference. It's you know you have this undead body com- coming to life and hurting people, right? So I think it just kind of depends on what on what you know this generation, whatever the culture sort of needs at the time, and sort of how that how that they're going to reinterpret these these myths so i don't think vampires are necessarily going going to go away but i think they're going to be reinterpreted and they'll change over time to sort of meet the needs of of what society requires
0: i think even zombies did that i mean zombies pre-romero were these you know creatures of voodoo and they didn't have to be dead to to become a zombie you know you just had to be kind of bewitched into that and cursed into it but like the romero zombies kind of crossed over some of that vampire stuff and and i think we like our monsters to to have similarities we'll we'll talk about this coming up in the next hour too but you know you mentioned silver bullets for vampires and Mm. it's it's something that i i still remember um the scene i think it's uh from dusk till dawn you know, when they're talking about, they're, they're battling all these vampires and like, well, what about silver bullets? No, that's werewolves. Oh, I think that's vampires too. Well, does anybody have any silver? Then it doesn't matter anyway. Okay. You know, so I think like some of these things do cross over. Maybe it's because we just want one
2: cure-all monster killer. Silver bullets is probably, in the, in the folklore, silver bullets is probably kind of the way to go if you're looking for, uh, if you're looking for the cure-all. And the best part about it is, even if it's not a
0: zombie, or a werewolf, or a vampire, or any of those things, and it's just a regular person, the silver bullet's going to kill them, too. <laughs> there you go. So you really can't Multiple lose. All right, so we're going to take a break coming up here for the news. We'll come back on the other side. We'll talk more about vampires with our guest, AP Sylvia. Again, the book is Vampires of Lore, Traits and Modern Misconceptions. Do you have a website
2: yourself? Uh, I do. Uh, I have a website. It's called locationsoflore.com, and uh, I talk about some of the... Different places I've visited that have different kind of interesting legends or folklore around them, are just kind of mysterious in some way. Are they are they local places here, or kind of all over? Or? Uh, yeah, some of them are local, some of them are other places. But um, yeah, like the Mercy Brown grave, I met, I have a I have a post in there about that with some pictures and that kind of thing.
0: So, and and as we mentioned uh, at, the, at the beginning, you are from this area originally, so la- later on we'll talk about some weird stories from specifically from our area, and we'll talk about Rhode Island, we'll talk about Mercy Brown, sure. uh, but we'll also talk about some of these historical cases as well. Uh, just a programming note, next week, uh, I don't think there's going to be a live show because I have wrestling. Yeah. It's supposedly the final show ever for House of Bricks, but they are going to have I think there's another fundraiser that's happening in december but for those of you who want to come out and support house of bricks pro wrestling which does a lot of charity work over the last 10 years uh they're wrapping up they're they're calling it quits uh they're just reaching the point where they're kind of burnt out so this is going to be the final uh couple of shows here but tomorrow uh next saturday i'm sorry it's called final fight it's happening at the vfw in Fairhaven. there's going to be every championship will be on the line they'll all be defended and uh, I don't know what's going to happen to me because as time is running out, as the thunder from down under Michael Foster, You know, we haven't really had any resolution to our conflict. Uh-oh. So as time is running out, I'm, I'm a little bit worried that things are going to start to amplify. So I may get my ass kicked next Saturday night, and you don't want to miss that. So coming out to the VFW in Fairhaven to see that. And then uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. We have the uh, the... You know, December for the holiday season, there's a lot of paranormal things happening. So uh, we we might not we might have to just do a little recorded show. I'll do a couple of interviews with people. Maybe we can get Greg and Dana to talk a little hellier. Uh, we'll talk about the upcoming um, Wicked Weekend that's happening, and uh, maybe we'll put a little something out to the podcast feed. But there won't be a live show next Saturday night. So. You're not going to miss Spooky South Coast if you come on out to House of Bricks and, uh, and hang out with us there. And then coming up in December, there won't be a show uh, the week of that, week Wicked Weekend, which is the first weekend in December. And then uh, I found out this week on the 14th, I have to travel. So there won't be a show that night either. But we'll see if maybe we can do some recorded stuff so we can still kick it out. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more Spooky South Coast.
3: Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store.
0: Welcome back. Our number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Moniz. And our guest in studio tonight is AP Sylvia. He is the author of the new book, Vampires of Lore, Traits, and Modern Misconceptions, which uh, I highly recommend picking up. You know, this is a great Christmas gift to give to people. Like, just wrap it up. Don't explain it. Don't say anything. Just give it to somebody. And when they say, wait, why'd you give me a book about vampires? What are you trying to tell me? Let the mystery just keep going. That's great. But it's, uh, for anybody that is interested in breaking down folklore, which is something that we love to do on this show, uh, we actually have uh, somebody that has been a big part of our show f- since the very early days, Chris Balzano, and uh, he is somebody who uh, takes legends and lore and really breaks them down and figures out kind of the where they come from and what the nuts and bolts of them are and i ended up dubbing him something that a a term that he he seems to like i dubbed him an analytical folklorist Mm. and so you'll be the next person that i dub as an analytical folklorist because that's what you do in this book you really break down these legends and these stories and in a way where uh you know when you listen when you read it you say well that's i understand where it's coming from and everything's cited and, uh, and everything's well-researched, that's got to be the hardest part, is actually finding, you know, these stories and then being able to determine yourself how much you can put stock
2: into the stories that are being reported. Yes, that was uh, that was definitely challenging with this. Um, sort of starting out when I was, you know, trying to research these things and, and find stuff out, um, you know, I, you do an Internet search for something and you're going to find different articles and things. Um but a lot of times, uh, things that were written very recently, they will incorporate, knowingly or not, some of our modern tropes about vampires without even realizing it. That I think that they're doing it. Um, so you need to be very careful when you're when you're you know reading something and saying, okay, well, because this says this, I know that that's what people believed. So um, what I did with the book is I tried to go back as far as I could and try to get, you know pre 20th century sources as old as you know kind of as old as i could i could i could find um given my resources and uh you know find out well what were people saying and it's interesting because you can see like when you read kind of the, the modern version of the st- of of the tale and then you go back and you know you go back and you read in older versions oh jesus that there maybe there isn't as much in there as i thought or well they add that this mentioned this particular thing but when i read this for ver- this older version that's not in there um, so that was something that was uh, that was definitely challenging for me, um, and I, I mean I ended up uh, you know there's a there's a full bibliography at the end of the book. I think there's over 90 sources in there, um, and it was it was interesting to uh, to kind of go through that stuff and and find these old accounts and kind of see try to get as close as I I could to what people actually believed. And and you're able to go back into
0: antiqu- antiquity with some of these these stories, uh, going back uh, pretty far in human history and it goes to show that the the reasons why you were saying before in the first hour that we need vampires it's it's we are no different now as human beings as they were then in this needing to have because in the end you're kind of looking at something like even though it's negative and it's scary and it's feeding upon the living and all these different things it's still the possibility that we can live beyond death oh
2: yeah absolutely it's um you know, the, the people, you know, the people back then, they're not different than, than we are now. They just, we have the benefit of, you know, scientific knowledge and scientific advancement. So we know things that they, they didn't have access to. Um, but you know, you think about it, you're, you're living, you're, you're living in this village and, um, you know, suddenly, pe- you know, people around you are getting ill, they're dying, and someone, you know, some elder who you trust says, well, you know, if you want to save your loved one who's sick right now, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the graveyard. You need to figure out who, you know, what, <laughs> what corpse is causing this problem. Um, and, you know, what, what are they left to do? It's, you know, they're, they're going to do something to try to save the, the person they love and to try to save themselves and it seems like in a
0: lot of this, the stories and the examples that you share it was you know it was a last resort kind of thing people weren't thinking vampire right away in a lot of these cases and immediately exhuming
2: bodies no i mean it had, it had to get some, and i think it probably had to get to a certain level of panic for people to start going okay well something's going something's wrong here this doesn't normally have okay well one you know one person unfortunately unexpectedly passed away okay but then another and then another and it's like well wait a minute something something is wrong something is actively causing this and we need to know what it, what it is nowadays we would know it's some kind of communicable disease mm-hmm. right okay well those those people were around the person who's ill they caught that disease now they now they are ill um but Back then, they they you know they wouldn't have understood that they, that wouldn't have been uh, that wouldn't have been something they were thinking about. So they they had to go. Out, well, all this started when this first person died. There was there was something up with that first person who died. We need to take a look at them. They they may be the root of this whole problem, and uh, you know it it gave them a, a focus for their energies and their fears. And so you know sometimes it might have been just a, a placebo. You know the the you know the the problem ran its course, but. They felt like they did something. They felt like they took action. It gave them some sense, some sense of control over over their lives.
0: And it's interesting because you know the same hysteria uh, is what could give way to the Salem witch trials. Oh, absolutely. But at least in this case, you know, they were targeting somebody who had already
2: died, as opposed to like burning living people at the stake. Absolutely. the the kinds of the kinds of of thinking and hysteria that you know, could cause, that could have caused, uh, you know, the, the witch panic could also cause a, you know, the same kind of thing as a vampire panic. Um, you know, it's just kind of thankfully with the vampire scenario, the person's already dead. So if you're going to, you know, you're going to dig them up and you're going to mutilate, mutilate the corpse in some way. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's sad. It's certainly very sad that that would happen. Um, but no living person is being hurt. Um, but with witch trials, that's a whole other thing. Now, you, now you've, instead of placing the blame on the dead, you've placed the blame on the living. Um, and then, obviously, you know, great tragedy has, has occurred because of that. Uh, we do have a call on the line. I'm ju- let's just take it and see if it's uh,
0: related to the topic. But just so everybody knows, uh, any phone calls that we do take tonight, we want them to be on topic discussing vampires with our guest, AP Sylvia. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast.
3: What's shaking, Playboy?
0: Hey, How Lamone, how's it going? Just living, loving. How's everybody doing out there? We're doing well. Do you have a question regarding vampires for
3: our guests? Uh, I got a few I got a thing, yeah, a couple things. Why do women like uh, like to be bitten by vampires?
2: Um, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm not really sure. I know that's uh that can be a motif in in pop culture and that kind of thing. Uh, well, I, go ahead. I
3: thought I thought it was because they, they, any opportunity to lose weight, they take the opportunity to do it.
2: So <laughs> oh, there. come on. Waka
3: waka. Oh. Um, so, like, so, so you like vampires. Have you ever seen the Carl um, uh, uh, Colchick, Chick, the Night Stalkers, the, the original uh, vampire, the biggest vampire you've seen man? Oh, no, I haven't. You sound also young. Oh, yeah. He sounds awful
2: young. He you sounds awful
3: young. It's not like maybe <laughs> 80, 1983 you were born. Am I about right? Oh, you're not far off. Okay, well, you go, damn youngling. Uh, <laughs> I hate this, what happens. Well, hey, I used to be a youngling, too. But I look kind of uh, young. Anyways, like I said, yeah, that's good. So, if you ever get a chance to watch, have you seen any Kolchek, Check, uh, the Night Stalker episodes?
2: I haven't. I've heard they of it. Have a,
3: I have. Well, oh, you. He's a look at this, Tim. He's got so so many young sheltered uh, inv- videos
1: well, on your show. the shelf.
0: problem is Netflix. Netflix had Colchak for a little while, but before we could start recommending to everybody that they go and watch it, they took it down again. So
1: it is on YouTube though, for free, well, or do you have do to pay have, for it? No, I believe it's free.
3: I do have the DVD, the the full series of DVD. If you want me to put it up for people to watch it.
0: Hey, you want to host it on on your channel? We'll 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 send people to it. But it's a yeah, it's mind, a great show.
3: Hmm. Don't mind if, I do, if you well, if you do this, then go back, go to my channel and you see like uh um like I have a I was dressed like um, Doctor Doom on Halloween and I was in in, in a bathroom and I took I was taking a picture a video and you could see two shadow people one that's like right behind me over like my right shoulder and then at the end of the video it's like seventeen seconds. At the end of the video, up in the corner in the ceiling, you can see another shadow person pop up in there.
0: And that's on your YouTube that, channel? Yes. What, if you
3: what, go to it right there, you... What, what's your um, YouTube
0: channel? Constipated in Sin City. Okay. So the same yes. as your screen name. <laughs>
3: yes. And so and if you go there, you can see it. It's very clear. It's like people had to look at it. For, I didn't notice it until after someone pointed it out to me. Say, hey, look at that. That's scary. And I was
0: like, oh, 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 we Well, definitely... Like, We'll check it out. That would be
3: good. And I think that Stephanie should look at it, too. But she's not there. She's never there. No, she had know? a wedding
0: to go to tonight. We're going uh, to have to move I on, Lamont, because we have, we have some other calls be- lined up here. But uh, thank you are, for calling. Are you, and, doing, are you working? Are you doing Midnight in the Desert this week? Not midnight? that I'm aware of, no. not. Are I, are I don't you, have anything scheduled. Are you having the show on next
3: Saturday? Ne- Next Saturday
0: yeah. we'll be off. Oh, dang. I wanted to share some... Oh, good. Grief. All right. Well, do, just, you have a good Thanksgiving. We'll catch up after then. I okay. Old rats. All so right. Like
3: I said, if you get a chance to go see him, uh it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Will we do, do. That Thursday night. All right. Thank and you, sir. Like, oh, I got some stuff I want to tell you,
0: Tammy. All right. Well, we will talk to him. I'm, I'm going to have to just let him go because we do have to move on to another call here. Uh, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with AP Sylvia. How are you? Good evening, gentlemen. I have a
3: question, Ms. Silvia. Um is there a given type of um, situation
2: or um circumstance for your research that a vampire may appear? Um so, you know, historically a lot of the folklore was uh going on when uh there was some kind of um illness that was affecting people. Uh you know, uh, some kind of uh, disease. People were passing away, and some of the people that were getting that were getting sick might be claiming, "Oh well, this person who passed away, I saw them in the night, and they, uh, you know, they 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 were harming me." Essentially, um, but it could be other things too. There are even some accounts of there was uh, like a drought or something like that, and they would they would look to a vampire and say, "Oh, the the vampire is causing this drought. This dead person is causing this drought." Uh, so it really, it really kind of depended on. Um, sort of what was going on at the time period that was sort of a cause of fear that people felt that they with had to address. Was it some kind of illness that really has no rhyme or reason? S- uh, something that they thought didn't have rhyme or reason. Okay. You know, with modern thinking, we it, it, we probably could explain it.
3: And, uh, <clears throat> Tim, from what
2: I understand, the thunder from down under, I've been <laughs> listening in uh, gyms around the area. Guys are getting ready for the big show, and I think he wants to put you to sleep before his match.
0: He can try it. He can try it.
2: We'll, right. see,
0: we'll see what happens. All right. Good thanks, enough, Phil. I- Have a good night. And uh, 508-996-0500, if anybody wants to call in with any questions uh, related to vampires tonight. Uh, wh- one of the things, we you know, we were talking about the idea of, of life after death and the undead. One of the things that you say at the outset of the book is that you're focusing on just stories of these beings that were dead and came back to life. because. Mm-hmm. If you start getting into some of the things that, you know, weren't dead that we're living creatures that are exhibiting signs of vampirism there's
2: a whole new world of stories there right that you would have to uh, start digging into as well yeah and that's that's something I kind of lay out at the start of my book is what I'm what I'm deeming to be a vampire um, and that kind of focuses my research uh, you know sometimes you'll you may find um, other authors who are writing something about vampires and they're using a much you know kind of a broader a broader approach. Um, where you're dealing with things that are sort of supernatural entities, right. uh, you know, uh, monsters or demons or something like that. And they happen to have, you know, maybe they're drinking blood or something like that. Um, but they were never people. They weren't, uh, they're not uh, dead people coming back to life. They're some other sort of, un, you know, non-human entity to begin with. And so those kinds of things I excluded because to me, a big part a big part of, of, of sort of the vampire uh, vampire folklore is um a fear of death and a fear of the dead. Um, so you know people who uh, you know they would have rituals and they would have practices that you know okay well we need to do this to prevent the person from becoming a vampire. we need to do these things to make sure that this corpse doesn't doesn't rise up. Uh, you know, later on, that kind of thing. So there were different kind of rituals for that. So people, you know, it was a, it was a fear, like we need to do this to keep ourselves safe before something bad happens. Let's take some, some, some actions. Um, so that's, that to me was, was a kind of a big part of, of, what, of what vampires really were, it was a fear a fear of the dead and what they could do to you. So, and, and, you know, uh, some of these other legends, which are very interesting, very kind of compelling... Um, to me, didn't kind of resonate with that, and I fear, I fear that when you include too many things, you you might kind of lose the picture of what what va- of what these vampire beliefs were about. Sure. In my opinion, yeah,
0: I mean, if you're dealing with something that is, say, a demon, for example, like, well, of course, demons can kill you and suck your blood and do all this stuff, but with it being a former person or you know still a person, however you want to look at it, at a resurrected corpse, sure, sure, you know that for lack of a better term humanizes it. You know that that, yes. that gives it a completely different
2: feel to it and a completely different reason to be afraid. Absolutely. And because it, you know, it's kind of it hits close to home. You know, this is this is this was somebody we knew. And now, you know, we have reason to fear them rather than some sort of creature that we read about, you know, from mythology or something like
0: that. And that's key because the stories, a lot of the the stories that you're covering that that gave rise to some of these legends, it's not Dracula, where they just were lost in the woods and they encountered some guy in a castle. These were people that they knew either from their own family or from their own village who were... Coming to them and acting in a in a menacing way that was completely unrelated to the way that they
2: would have been when they were alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's and that's kind of one of the, the pieces pieces of it that to me is is, you know, kind of is so scary that this was this was someone who was a member of the community at one point and now they have reason to fear them because they've died, because they're now in this state of death. Um, so it's I think that's kind of a compelling aspect, and I think it's an important aspect when you're trying to sort of piece together what vampire beliefs are all about there was one story i don't know if i remember the exact
0: details but the the vampire in question was actually uh, the victim's father and he came back and he visited i mean you say to yourself well why would you let a dead person that you know is dead come into your house but when it's your own father and you just lost your father, you're gonna want to let him back in. You know, it's like seeing Pet Cemetery. Why would they let the kid into the house? Because it's their kid still. Yeah,
2: I mean that's kind of a you know that's sort of an emotional aspect of it. You know that this and I, I there's the, I I believe I know the story you're you're referring to, but yeah, he sort of he he comes in and he sits down to dinner mm-hmm. uh, with with the family and uh, there's a, a soldier there. Uh, who who was in the area who they were uh, who was a guest and he's wondering like well, why is everyone suddenly acting so strange and who is this who is this visitor and it was the father who had been dead for i think it was like 30 years or something like that um and so yeah that's that's very that's alarming and disturbing and it's not some unknown monster you open the door like what's this thing i close the door we got to do something it's like Oh, like this was someone we knew. How, how, you know, that's 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 what's very powerful about that.
0: And and not to kind of jump the gun into some of the the tropes about vampires, but you know, one of them is that you have to invite them in for mm. them to be able to come into your home or or to be able to you know enter into wherever it is that you are. Uh, wh- where does
2: that kind of come about from? Um, so that's an interesting one. That kind of uh, to my to my thinking, sort of evolved over time there is no there's no sort of folkloric precedent for you the vampire needs to be specifically invited in to get in um it's a it's sort of a, a quirky kind of thing when you think about it um because you know well they're, they're not particularly menacing if you have to invite them in right um so a lot of the folklore that that nothing like that comes up. You know, people are people are dying. Why, you know, they're, obviously they're not inviting this this, this entity, and everyone's living in fear of this person they think mm-hmm. is a vampire. No one's inviting them in. Um, they they're coming. You know, the vampire is coming and going as they please. But there are some beliefs where uh, the vampire would kind of walk around, would sort of walk through the town, and they would they would uh, call at the door, and they would call for someone, and uh, it was believed that if the person answered. Then they would they would die, and um, you know there was uh, depending on the place there was a belief. Well, they'll never call twice, or they'll never call three times at the door. So you have to wait for a person to call more than that number of times. Then you knew it was it was it was safe to respond. So some people might uh, might think like, oh well, there's there's the invitation. That's the invitation thing in folklore. Um, but that's kind of getting back to what I was saying earlier, where it's so easy to kind of. interject our own thoughts about this into folklore when we read it because it's not saying that they were asking to be invited in. They were calling for the person and the person's response was the thing that was going to cause their cause their demise um, so it seems similar in a way but it's not it's not that they were saying please invite me in okay come in they were calling for someone you said yes and then that was that was the the, the trick and then otherwise the vampire would simply move on um, but there's some um, literature that started introducing this kind of uh, notion where um, like there's one there's one fictional story and it's uh, it's not it's not folklore where the vampire uh, is, uh, tri- uh, is uh, the they want to get. They want to. Uh, they they want to feast upon their uh, the woman they loved in life. The person died, and he's he's come back to life, and he he wants to wants to uh, feed on her, and he can't enter her house because it's uh, it's considered like uh, clean and holy, I believe is the, so um, so he has to kind of tri- trick her into leaving her house because she doesn't know he's died and that kind of thing. So, and then ultimately you kind of get to Stoker who. Quite you know Bram Stoker from you know Dracula, uh, who says quite explicitly, oh he needs to be invited in mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. And there's some other stories in there that kind of move move the ball forward a bit as well before Stoker. Um, so that one is interesting because it kind of evolved uh, from something that something in folklore that was. In, in the realm but not not specific and then a few different uh fictional stories come out that kind of move in that direction then ultimately stoker uh if there was any sort of ambiguity in the other fictional story stoker's like oh well dracula has to you have to invite him in
0: and what i always thought about the stoker story that made it interesting that you have to invite them in is you can say in some ways okay well that's a buffer to say like if people are afraid of vampires now as a result of this, like don't worry, as long as you don't invite them in, you're safe. But what I always took away from that concept was by inviting him in, what happened to you was was of your own doing.
2: Yeah, I, I um, and that's why it, it, that's why I think it, it fits better with with literature than folklore, right? I mean, if all you if you don't if you just need to invite them in, then why are people taking all these other precautions, uh, you know, with crosses and garlic and stuff like was, that? Was was right? the inviting them in almost a euphemism, maybe? Could be, I mean, I, I, you know, I think you can kind of look at it like, um, you know, you need to sort of invite evil in, into your, into your life, you know, to kind of go down a dark path or something like that, you know, you sort of choose who you associate with and that sort of thing. So, I think there could, there, you know, you can sort of psychoanalyze Stoker in different ways and many people have over the years, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it kind of, it puts it on the victim in some way which is sort of which is sort of strange. Yeah, victim blaming. Yeah. Yeah, somebody it's, just mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. so it's an, it's a that that's kind of an interesting aspect to it. It's like, well, you shouldn't have invited him in. Right, hey, uh. it's your own fault. <laughs> so, what what was the most surprising
0: thing to you to find that didn't really have a folkloric background when it comes to to the vampire myths that we have now?
2: Well, there was a lot of different things that were pretty uh, that were pretty surprising. Um, some, some more than others. Um, I, I guess I would have to say uh, Fangs. That was the one that stood out to me, too. Yeah, is probably uh, the most surprising thing because it is so iconic with uh, our vampire imagery today. If you were to uh, shoot a movie or, or, or something and you had sort of this menacing character walk by and they smile and they have you know, two long uh, canine teeth, you know immediately they're a vampire. Right. You don't need anything else in that in that shot to tell you that this that this person you're seeing on screen is a vampire. And so then when I looked back at the folklore and there there wasn't really anything like that uh, specifically, um, I was that was that was really interesting to me.
0: The thing that blew me away the most is that you said that there's not even a mention of fangs in, in Stoker and in, in Dracula. You kind of pinned it on maybe
2: the Hammer films as yeah. being when when the fangs really came into play. Yeah, well, the fangs ultimate the the fangs uh, came out of um, there was uh, a nineteenth century penny dreadful called Varney the Vampire, and that is is the um, that is the origin I, I, from from my research of where fangs were were introduced. Um, there's, uh, you know, the, there's this ma- the main vampire and it says it in a few different ways, tusk-like uh, teeth and stuff like that. And it also mentions the, the two pinpricks on the neck. Um, so that Penny Dreadful, uh, is sort of where, where the fangs kind of, kind of came into their own. And, uh, that's and you know nowadays obviously I say this in the book you know nowadays obviously the it's uh, you know fangs are, are, that's just what a vampire is but you know kind of then reading that that must have seemed so fresh and new to the the Victorian readers.
0: I think uh, the film Dracula was at 31 that that came uh, out. I believe so. So if you know that's kind of when we start to get this romanticized vampire, but I think maybe the closest that we come to the truth, at least of mythology, was Nosferatu. Because in that you're getting somebody who is human, but at the same time he's clearly a monster.
2: Yeah. So um, the the, Nosfer- the Nosferatu uh, is yeah, and there's kind of like there's like this plague of rats that come along with him and that kind of thing. Uh, and he is definitely uh, kind of monstrous. Uh, so he's a great uh, he's he's and he's a great kind of a, a example of of a vampire that. Was not sort of the alluring vampire. He was he was the the menacing vampire, uh, and he had these these two uh, front fangs. They're kind of like these two rat like fangs, um, but there were no fangs in the um, in the 1931 uh, Dracula movie. Is uh, I, I think what you're referencing yeah, earlier. So there's it, no there's no fangs in in, in, in that that the original
1: movie. Well, the Nosferatu.
2: No no in the um, in Lagosi in the universal dracula film
1: yeah well people are also mentioning that they do believe they mentioned that bram stoker did mention marks on the neck
2: yes no but that that was in yeah, the that novel was my, that
0: was my mistake i was referring yeah. to the to the to the movie and i referred to stoker's dracula but i meant yeah. the film okay yeah,
2: yeah so stoker so stoker had fangs in the novel but um the uh the 1931 Bela lugosi movie you never see baila with like the two front yeah, the yeah two yeah, the, okay. the two front that was,
0: fangs. was that brown Todd Browning, the director of that? I don't recall. I, f- I think I think it was,
2: but James Whale directed Frank's. I think Browning directed Dracula. Not that it matters, just um, but yeah. But so Nosferatu, he had his fangs were kind of like the two front. They're kind of like two front teeth, two like kind of rat fangs, which were which are really interesting. But yeah, he's definitely a more menacing uh, menacing vampire. Um, I just love the story. Like I love I love well, all the,
0: the the legends that have been associated around Max Shrek in that movie and everything. And
2: yeah, it's an it's a, it's an interesting. I mean, just the whole the whole kind of how that film. What they were trying to do, they were, you know, essentially, uh, you know, for those Klaus, that... Klaus,
1: uh, what was his name, Klaus, in the movie?
2: Um, I, f- I forget all the, yeah, I I forget all the names. Yeah. But, I mean, what they were sort of trying to do with, with uh, Nosferatu is they, uh, the company Prana Film was... Uh, was they wanted to do a Dracula movie, but they didn't have the rights to Dracula. Mm-hmm. So they changed, they changed a bunch of names and some of the, the plot elements hoping that they could, uh, that they could kind of skirt the, the copyright and release the film. And ultimately that did not fly. And, uh, Bram Stoker's widow, uh, sued them. And they were actually supposed to destroy the, I think the judge ruled they were supposed to destroy the film. Um, but some copies remained. And so now we, we still have it. Today. And now it's free on YouTube. <laughs> so you can watch it if you want. Yeah. And it's a really, it's a really, uh, Interesting interesting film. I, I have I have a version of it um that is uh, has a commentary by uh Raymond T. McNally who uh was a va- was a, kind of a vampire scholar and professor and he does like an audio audio commentary of it and it was really it was really great and he come out with he came out with some great points um during it. But it's a it's a very interesting film and uh very atmospheric. Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, so some of the other legends uh, or some of the other things that are associated with vampires, you know, you you do a deep dive into where they might have come from and where they, you know, where they kind of fall apart and mm-hmm. become more of a, a more modern thing. Uh, what's something that besides, you know, Fangs, of course, being something that surprised you, but what's something that you found that was more of a modern thing that you don't really find in, in some of the mythology of vampires? What's, what's a Hollywood creation? Well, uh, We'll go Besides back. the fact that they sparkle, like that's
2: definitely a, that's
0: a <laughs> Stephanie Meyer thing.
2: <laughs> well, I would, I would say a, a Hollywood, a Hollywood thing, a thing uh, that was introduced by the movies uh, actually goes back to Nosferatu uh, with a vampire being destroyed by sunlight. Um, that was not in the folklore. Uh, uh, they, that, that wasn't, wasn't present. There's some different uh, different things surrounding sunlight but that was introduced by um by that movie um in folklore there are some accounts where vampires are walking around during the day they're fine um there, at best there are a number of accounts where the vampire would become lifeless at sunrise they would kind of collapse or whatever um but that didn't kill them they, they would rise back up again the next night that didn't get rid of them um and uh you know it's it's funny because we we think of like oh yeah sunlight kills kills vampires because they're evil and all that but when you go back to the mindset of of you know say the 1700s or the 18 you know, whatever um, it wasn't uh, it makes sense that that sunlight wouldn't kill them because well you think about it you you, you dig this person you dig this person up and you see these you see these traits that you think are vampiric and it's like okay well just leave him in the sun for ten minutes and that'll solve the problem right yeah. right I mean there's no catharsis there there's no release um, that you know people felt they needed to do something and i think leaving it in the sun for a little while just wasn't that wasn't going to cut it um but with the movies you can have the vampire you know shrivel up and turn to dust and all that stuff so you can have a dramatic effect and there's the defeat of the villain um so it works in movies but it it wouldn't have worked in folklore it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fit um so in well,
1: it didn't back then in folklore they would unbury them and put a brick in their mouth or something of that nature yes
2: so depending on on the, the the region yeah depending on the place and all that there was some belief that the vampires act of chewing in the grave would actually cause illness and death so they they weren't necessarily leaving the grave they were in the grave and they were they were chewing they were like eating their shroud and stuff like that um, so in order to in order to stop that from happening, they would they would dig up the vampire and they they would do something to prevent them from chewing. They would yeah. put a stone in the mouth or yeah. put dirt in the mouth or tie something around the neck so it couldn't, it couldn't swallow or whatever. Um, and so that was actually that was in like uh, in uh, uh, Germanic areas. It was uh, the Naxor was uh, was a yeah. vampire that was that that was their kind of mo. Um, so, but, uh, but anyway, getting back to the, the um, Nosferatu, yeah, the, the last, the last scene, I hope I'm not spoiling it for anyone, but you, <laughs> you, you, the, have, you the movie's yeah, only a hundred yeah, years, yeah, like years old, yeah, you know, like a hundred years old, a hundred years to see it, so, um, but, you know, he's the, the vampire kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's leaving and the, the sun, the sun comes in and he kind of, uh, you know, dramatically turns and then suddenly he's uh, a puff of, a puff of smoke. Though, interestingly, uh, I, I talk about this in my book, um, the in the movie, the plot is that there's actually a ritual that takes place to kill the vampire whose named Count Orlok and um, And, uh, it basically involves someone having to willingly sacrifice themselves to the vampire so that the vampire feeds on that person for the entire night. And then at daybreak there, the vampire will be destroyed. So depending on how you interpret that, actually it could, the movie could actually be saying, well, it wasn't just the sunlight that killed the vampire. It was the willing victim as part of this ritual to kill count Orlok. Um, and so, and actually this is something that, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, Raymond, Raymond McNally uh, talked about, um, so it actually could be a bit of a misinterpretation of Nosferatu that caused this this uh, very well established vampire trait nowadays.
0: I mean, it's a great plot device though for a vampire movie because oh. if you can if you can just get it through the night, yeah, you know. So it, it kind of constrains everything into into a. a, a, a... A time capsule that they can tell the
2: story into oh sure yeah it's yeah i mean it's it's you know we gonna make it through the night and then the dawn comes and then we're safe and all this stuff and it, i mean there's wonderful imagery there with with the sun coming up and sort of defeating evil defeating the darkness um so you can see how well it fits into movies I,
0: I referenced before one of my favorite vampire movies from dusk till dawn you know at the end of that movie they realize if they just start blowing holes again spoiler alert they just start blowing holes into the building the sunlight's you know shooting in and, and destroying these vampires, so uh, but there's also some things that have become kind of standards for vampires, and the way that we tell the story now that do have some actual factual basis in them. And uh, and one of the ideas was you know putting stakes through the heart or using a stake in some mm-hmm. sense. You, you talk about in the book how it wasn't always necessarily through the heart because it wasn't always necessarily just about you know destroying. The body, sometimes it was
2: about holding the body down. Sure, yeah. And So that's that's uh, kind of an interesting aspect to it. Um, you know, we think of the, I think it was in was in Dust Till Dawn where they took like a pencil and stuck it into the heart of the <laughs> yeah. vampire. He's like <laughs> well, holding the heart of the vampire and he puts a pencil uh, in it. Yep. Um, so we kind of, nowadays, I think we think of the stake as sort of like this, uh, this wooden stake is like this magical thing. It has a magical effect on the vampire that kills them. Um, but, you know, in in some beliefs, it was really more that it was, you were, you were driving a stake through the vampire, through it into the earth, such that it couldn't rise back up again. You were physically holding the corpse down. And it was pinning being it. pinned down. It was being pinned down, exactly. Um, so that it was a, a physical way um, of stopping the vampire from getting up and walking around. Uh, so it had this sort of like, practical add this kind of practical aspect to it now of course you know destruction of the heart also comes into play with with certain beliefs and driving the stake through the heart obviously would be destroying it so there's kind of this sort of twofold thing to it there but also you mentioned you know you talk
0: about how it's not really a magical thing it's a practical thing but yet there was also certain woods that had to be used absolutely absolutely
2: depending on the place there was um and that's why it's folklore so interesting because you have you have this kind of mixing of elements of like well there's a practical thing but then there's also this magical component to it so yeah depending on the place like certain woods uh certain woods were important dependent depend, like aspen wood uh and that kind of thing um and i you know it's uh i often wonder if it's just well the wood that was available at the time was 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 the best was the best one but uh you know there's uh like you know hawthorn uh was used and, and some of it was is been tied to like uh reliefs uh beliefs regarding like um well that was the wood that was that was used Um, uh, during the crucifixion or something like that and that kind of adds a component you know a religious component Mm -hmm. to it I
0: I was very fascinated too by you you had mentioned the uh, I forget where it was exactly but they would put the stake into the grave so that the vampire would actually just stake itself when it tried to
2: come out yeah that you know that was great. I thought it was so practical, and that's probably what I would do if sure. I had been back then. I'd be like, ah, you know, I don't really want oh, to Dig it down. Yeah. Yeah, let's just
1: put the stake on
2: the top. Yeah. Self impale that, That'll take care of it. Like, that's, that's a lot of work to dig it up. Let's just, let's just kind of drive the stake into the ground above the corpse, and then if it tries to get out, problem solved. So. Yep. That was like, you know, going back to, again, from Dusk Till Dawn,
0: one of the greatest moments in that movie is when he has the the jackhammer and he puts the stake into it (laughs) so that he can just keep staking everybody instead of having, you know, one stake here and one stake there. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was genius uh, and just the time that we have um, again you know if, if people want to pick up the book Vampires of Lore Traits and Modern Misconceptions you can really get into the deep dive into all of this and find out and again it's a beautiful book it's it's not just the awesome cover either It's I mean the inside of it is is incredible and it's, it's one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen put out by Schiffer but uh, in the time that we have left I want to talk a little bit about some of the New England vampires Sure. Uh, you know we've we've talked a little bit about them here in the past but it's i think people remember the mercy brown story but it wasn't the only vampire story here
2: no there were there were uh, a number of them that happened uh over the course of time um it's uh you know uh, one that actually I read about on my blog was Sarah Tillinghast. That one was was much earlier, but funny enough, it was in the same town in Exeter, and it's kind of like right down the street from from Mercy Brown's grave. But again, you have you have an instance of uh, you know uh, people are passing away, and they're they're looking for uh, you know a rationale for that, and um, you know at the time to- at the time um, you know medical science wasn't able to really help. With uh, you know, it was um, consumption right? Uh, tuberculosis, and there was there was not they, they didn't really have a lot of answers. Yeah, for the only it, treatment
0: know. was just to make people comfortable until they died. Yeah,
2: you know, go to the desert; it's drier there, something like that. People thought that that would work. So, you, you get into this situation of well, you know, well, you know, the the doctors can't help, and then. Well, somebody says, "Well, this this is actually a technique that'll that'll work." You know, there actually there's this, and they didn't use the term vampire, right? But you still have this this motif of of the dead harming the living, um, and so you know you have to sort of put yourself in the mindset of back then. It's like, well, it's a long shot, but what else do you have to do? Right. You know? So, so you know, at least in the case of Mercy Brown, we're
0: talking about exhuming her body, taking her organs, you know, grinding them up right there in the cemetery. Turning them into a paste and feeding that to her surviving yeah, brother, to Edwin, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that just goes to show, like, we're talking, we're we're not talking about the the 1600s here. You know, we're talking about fairly recent history. What was 1892? Yeah. So we're talking about the same year that the Lizzie Borden murders happened. Uh, actually, I think it was just a few months before that. Yeah. It was that was in February of. 1892. I think it was in the, in the winter time yeah. or right after the winter because
2: yeah she yeah I think she passed in away in the winter and then and then uh, yeah it happened uh, like I think after after that.
0: So we're talking about pretty relatively modern times to say we have to grind up the organs of this person and, and now feed it to this other person.
2: Yeah, it's um it's it, you know it's pretty it's it's pretty disturbing, and you know you can only think about sort of the the desperation that would have. Been happening at uh you know for those people at that time but interestingly that the you know in my research i found the the practice of doing that of of uh you know taking the heart and and burning it to ashes and uh you know giving it to the victim that is not unique to new england that uh that was uh, a practice that was in in romania uh and i found a, a number of instances of that of that happening where where it was where it was done and um you know, in the old stories, they're saying, and it worked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, I think when you, when you get a, a more modern telling that has got a bit more facts around it, it tends to not work. Um, but that, that's something that I found interesting. That's, you know, you, half a world away and they were doing the same. That was the same, the same ritual. Um, so that was that was uh, quite interesting to me that because it's something that we d- we don't really think of nowadays as being part of like you know vampire. you know, it's not you don't see that in movies or something like that.
0: right. but as you mentioned, you know va- even though everybody was kind of thinking vampire and they were going along those lines and their beliefs, people weren't actually saying that it was a vampire no,
2: no. and actually, in my book in a lot of my in a lot of my accounts, I actually g- I often give the name of what the, the name people used for it. Because um, vampire, you know, vampire's just one term for something, but there was, uh, you know, depending on the place I mentioned earlier, Noxor or, or uh, uh, in Greece is a vrykulakis. Um So, I, and I, t- I try to include that in the book because I, f- I find it interesting that the terminology changes from place to place. But ultimately, again, it all stems from a fear that the the dead are harming the living. So something tangibly needs to be done with the dead to save the living. We have a few minutes
0: left. In all the stories that you researched and the things that you looked up, was there a favorite story that stood out? Was there one that you said, you know, this is one that I've never heard before, but it's pretty memorable? Was there anything like that in your research?
2: You know, it's you know, all the stories are all the stories are are, are interesting. Some are more detailed than others. I think the 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 account of uh, Peter um, uh, uh was uh was interesting to me he you know it's it's one i i i use one of that stories through throughout the throughout some of the early chapters of the book because it's it's so it's very well contained and very well documented um, you know the the people of this town are, are you know people are passing away and they're they're thinking it's this this person and so they actually go to this government official and the government of, and they're like well we need to exhume this person and you know we think they're a vampire uh, and the government officials like well you know slow down there um, but he ultimately he he and some other folks go because the people are just so up in arms about it um, and it's you know they record the findings and you know the kind of the uh what they see and sort of the shot the the shock around around it all um and then it ultimately gets published you know his his report gets published in a newspaper and it kind of brings it to a wider audience um so that that's one i like just because it's very it's sort of nicely self-contained and um you know it's a, it's a really interesting account but it also shares that that story out so that it helps it to become
0: Part of the legend, in other places, absolutely, too. absolutely. Well, again, the book Vampires of Lore Traits and Modern Misconceptions you have to pick it up for yourself because otherwise, how are you going to learn about the truth behind ideas such as silver bullets, silver in general, blood sucking, cutting off the heads of vampires? Which I still think you know, no matter what it is that you're dealing with, if you can cut off its head, you're usually doing okay,
1: <laughs> uh, unless it's a hydra,
0: yeah, not always does it work. One exception there, <laughs> but generally. You know, if you're really scared of something, just cut off its head, not that I'm out of advocating anybody goes out and does that but and uh, and you can pick up all of these uh, you can read about all these when you pick up
2: the book again you can get it from your website um so uh if you go my website's com, and i have a page about the book you can buy the book on amazon uh, dot target.com a uh, number of other online sellers uh and uh we're trying to get into the uh into some brick and mortar stores so i don't know if there's a local bookstore you go to and you're You think they should stock it? Maybe let them know. Well,
1: they've um, already made a sale here. We've got one of our uh, chat people that has just ordered it online on Amazon.
0: Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. And and I'm talking to the Sea Witch. I'm talking to Barnes & Noble and Dartmouth. You know, all these local booksellers out there. Reach out to Schiffer, say that you want to carry this book, and, uh, and and we'll bring AP down here for some book signings, too. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Bringing we'll bring you back to the area. See, people think they can escape the South Coast. <laughs> you can never escape. We bring you back. <laughs> so now the question becomes, what happens when people start
2: reaching out to you now? And they can do so uh, via Twitter. Uh, you're on Twitter as well. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, AP Sylvia Writes. And uh, locationsoflore.com. I've got links to my Twitter and Instagram, and you can contact me there. People right. start reaching
0: out to you with stories about... Current modern vampires, you know, are, are, are you going to go boots on the ground and actually investigate some of these cases or do you want to just stick to the to the legend and lore?
2: Um, you know, if there's if there's something interesting going on, you know, maybe I'll take a look. Who knows?
1: Have you been to Mercy Brown's grave?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I uh, one of my blog posts is, is about that. I took some pictures. Her grave, Sarah Tillinghast. Um, I've been to some other vampire sites around. Uh, one, actually, there was a vampire hunt in Chica- in a Chicago park. Uh, at one point, so I, I went there and checked that out as well. Okay, oh, right, so you
1: know the Barnabas Collins, the infamous Barnabas Collins. Ah, uh, that's from Dark, Sh- Dark, Shadow, Dark right? Shadows. Dark yeah. Shadows. Well, the the person that got the name got it from an actual grave in Westport, Massachusetts.
2: Oh my
0: goodness. Oh, that's interesting. All right. Well, on that note, we will uh, wrap things up for tonight. Again, uh, you can go to legendsoflore.com if you want to find out more. Locationsoflore.com. Sorry. Sorry.
2: Locations of lore. Locationsoflore.com.
0: And uh, you can pick up the book there. And we will be back not next week. Uh, Maybe there'll be uh, an episode released to the podcast feed, which is pretty much all up to date now. Uh, But we will be off the air for a House of Bricks event. But we'll be back the week after that. So until then, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for AP, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular.